independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. That dance class really opened my perspective. I realized that embodiment, that dance, that movement, that art, that those were just as valid entry points into speaking to climate change as science. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to holistic healing, ecological regeneration, and true abundance and wellness for all. This is a community-backed show that's what allows us to be unfiltered and be unabashedly critical about everything possible. So if you find our work valuable, you can support us at patreon.com slash green dreamer. We are hoping to reach our next goal as soon as possible so that we can continue on with our next season beyond this episode 300 and if every person listening to this who has just two dollars to spare chipped in which is like a cup of coffee i'm sure we would get there in no time so thank you so much for your support whether through joining our patreon if you can or otherwise sharing episodes that you enjoy and leaving us a five-star review for the show Anyhow, this is our 300th episode, which marks the end of the winter season of Green Dreamer. We will be taking a few weeks off from publishing new interviews after this one as we prepare for the next season of the show that will have an added video element to it. And I'm still quite new to video, so I'll have a learning curve, but you can first subscribe to our YouTube channel at greendreamer.com YouTube to stay posted. I also mentioned this in our previous episode, but I'm going to start hosting live discussions in the relatively new audio social media app called Clubhouse as an extension to this show. So if you make your way over, you can find me in the app at Kamea. Moving on, for our 300th milestone of an episode here, we have two guests with us. Kailea Frederick is a mother, the editor of Loam, vice chair of the Petaluma Climate Commission, and an independent facilitator, consultant, and writer. She was a youth delegate to the UN Climate Change Conferences, a spiritual ecology fellow, and a Boards and Commissions Leadership Institute fellow. Working with her over at Loam as their creative director, and as our second guest here, is Kate Wiener. She was a Brower Youth Award winner, a recipient of the John Godard Prize for Environmental Conservancy, and a Spiritual Ecology Fellow as well. This is a very soul-nourishing episode as we talk about reorienting towards matriarchy as ecology and economy, navigating a world which often undervalues the soft skills of care, collaboration, and community building, which are really integral to our collective well-being, and more. So, Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. I'm the editor over at The Loan Publication, an independent publishing house. And I come from a family like Kate, she'll get into this as well, but a family that was absolutely devoted to books and music. My father actually invented an instrument and that was how he made income for our family was 
making the instrument and distributing it worldwide. And my parents also used the his recording studio and turned it into an independent bookstore. So in the mid-90s, I grew up in this little bookstore. And my mom just, yeah, we were avid readers. She taught me how to read when I was three years old. And I've just been a voracious reader ever since. And so, yeah, that's, I would say... For me, so much of my inspiration around publishing and writing was really fostered through both of my parents and our upbringing. My mom is also an independent author, and my younger sister is an editor, and my partner is also an editor, so (laughs) I really am just swimming in it. And I love books, and Kate loves books too, so I'll, (laughs) I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, we both definitely love books. I also, uh, I'm Kate, I'm the creative director of LOM, and I grew up in a family passionate about the written word. My dad is a third generation printer. My mom is a writer and an editor. I was always just fascinated by stories, and even when I was like little, little, before I could talk, I would mouth stories aloud and and do like little hand (laughs) signs Mm -hmm. and continued up throughout my life to just love to hear stories, to receive stories, to tell stories. It's always been a through thread. Kailea, in all of your introductions, you begin by identifying your role as a mother. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how motherhood has impacted your approach to activism and why you feel that we have an important need today to orient towards the idea of matriarchy as ecology and as economy, as you say. Mm. Yeah, this is a good good question. (laughs) The second part of it, I'm definitely going to open up for Kate as well. Because uh, this is a theme that the two of us deeply explore, th- both through our work with Loam, but also just in our own personal interests. So I became a mother in 2017, really, which is when I became pregnant. I actually birthed my son in 2018. But I I was just coming off of being on the road in movement spaces for eight months, just really living out of a backpack right before I met my partner. And so for me, a lot of my headspace then, as it still is now, is really geared and oriented around people's movements and grassroots organizing. I was initially introduced to grassroots organizing through Mothers on the island of Maui, where I grew up. That was my my very first introduction into what activism looked like. And so for me, I actually, (laughs) in in now what I realize is a bit of a rare way, considered motherhood or parenthood as synonymous with being a really active, vocal member of your community because parents care. They want the best community spaces for their children. They want their children to feel safe. They want their children to be in healthy environments. And so I, (laughs) it was kind of this interesting thing of I think, you know, coming from the youth climate justice movement where we were so oriented around identifying as young people inheriting the climate crisis and then stepping into, you know, parenthood, I think for me, it it definitely deepened my voice and my ability to speak from a place that was uh, much more unafraid in terms of just being honest about what it is that we're living in and what it is that we're experiencing. And I also would say that becoming a parent has been the most grounding thing in that 
oftentimes movement spaces, movement culture, so oriented towards burnout culture. And I do feel like we're kind of in this, in, you know, this incredible renaissance of calling and rest. But certainly when I was a young person in activist spaces, I burned out several times. And I oftentimes now in the way that I am orienting with my work and also orienting to being a parent and having to presence every day with the child, consistently tell people that I work with that I can't afford to burn out, that I actually need to caretake my body. I need to caretake my mental health as a part of being able to first show up present for my child, because the most important thing that we can be doing is raising grounded, healthy, young stewards, and then I can show up to my work. So I I actually think for me becoming a parent, it's only deepened and infused so much of how it is that I show up. And I feel really grateful to be able to hold this lens and to be able to hold this identity. And matriarchy, Kate and I have been working with this theme a lot. And we view it as an opportunity to actually come back into balance in that we strongly feel, and I think many listeners can agree that we have swung on a, in a pendulum regarding working within a patriarchal system that really values things like dominance and oppression and power over dynamics. We feel like we want to bring in a definition of matriarchy that is much more about power with dynamics. So that's a bit of a snippet around that, but I'd love to pass it over to you, Kate, because I know you also have so much to share in this theme. Yeah, I think that was so beautifully said, Kailea, and it makes me think, too, that something I want to speak to is our desire at Loam to really create a working environment where parents are comfortable to show up in the, in the wholeness of their selves. I think one of our hopes is in so many collaborative spaces, being a parent, being a caregiver is not necessarily seen as a value add. And we really want to create an environment where people who hold those roles are cherished and are appreciated and are valued and their need for greater flexibility around timing, for greater rest, whatever it is, is seen and honored. And I think that is a big part of why we were drawn in some new ways to the matriarchy is that we collaborate with so many caregivers and parents and doulas and midwives, people who hold these roles that matriarchs tend to hold in society and wanting to nurture spaces where, where that's valued. Mm. And I, and I really do think that is a huge driving force in, in the year ahead and also in how we just work as, as a printing organization. And also, you know, just as a last point to add that we really see ourselves as wanting to be a part of a shifting in cultural narrative. And if we continue to honor roles like this, see see the people who are holding these roles and the ways that they prioritize and value, which is, is really, you know, if you're prioritizing and valuing the world through the lens of a child, hopefully we can, <laughs> I mean, that's a world where things are growing. And again, like it's, it's healthy. It's a world where justice prevails and inter- interdependence is very much just an alive point that people are working with. And we feel if we continue to bring those values forward and 
uplift those narratives that we can hopefully be a part of a shift in culture that can be actually about balance. And Kate, so you had started Loam while in college at Wesleyan. There's a fascinating story there in regards to how a dance class inspired your vision for the magazine. So I'd love it if you could share that inspiration and impetus to create Loam, as well as the significance of the word embodiment to you. Yeah, I think there were many different seeds for Loam, but I do think that dance class was a really pivotal moment for me. It was, we had a guest professor come in and teach this really beautiful experience where we had like two hours to go through the life cycle of a flower. So the flower growing and the flower decomposing. And it was also really beautiful because it was a partner dance. So we took turns to witness one another through the life cycle. And when it was our turn as a flower to to die, to decompose, our partner was there to witness us and hold us through the process. So I'll say it was really beautiful. It's I always feel a little vulnerable talking about it because it's one of those experiences that I think is, again, it was so much about feeling. It feels silly to describe, but it was a profound moment for me where I really came to understand what it was like to embody the life cycle of a flower. And I'd always struggled with maths and sciences growing up, uh, but I knew I had this deep passion for the environment, that I cared about climate change, that I was profoundly sensitive to its impact on our communities, but I couldn't find my my way in. And that dance class really opened my perspective. I realized that embodiment, that dance, that movement, that art, that those were just as valid entry points into speaking to climate change as science. And I think from there, I really, once I was able to experience that embodiment, I just felt hungry to create more spaces where we could be in conversation about climate change and how it's impacting our sense, our capacity to connect, and and really wanted to use art and movement as conduits for, for that conversation. And also in the dominant environmental space, there's constant resistance against materialism of any kind. And that's very understandable given the context of our overall overextraction, overproduction, and overconsumption. But you see publishing as praxis and print as a tool into embodiment. So what is your take on how this tangible co-creation might defy or rebel against the dominant culture of disposability and mindlessness? I will say from our inception, the quality of print has really mattered to us, even when it's been financially stressful. We want to create a product that is well-made, sustainably made, ethically sourced, and something you would truly cherish and return to again and again. And I also think, you know, it's interesting, and I think this is part of Loam's commitment to nuance and multiplicity, is we often create this binary between print and digital, and digital is so often framed as the better or less wasteful alternative. But to create something digital, right, there's minerals and there's a lot of stuff that needs to go into the batteries to power a digital experience. I don't think there's one that's necessarily more resource intensive than the other. I think the reality is that it's very complicated and there isn't an easy answer. And with print, we're trying to, again, source in ways that our values aligned because coming back to our values is a core part of our practice, but also offer people an opportunity to be in their senses, to have a moment. You know, with every release of each issue, 
We encourage people to create an experience, whether that's a picnic lunch where they bring their copy of loam or hanging out with friends on a park bench, where like use this as an invitation into embodiment, into experience, really feel the pages, take your time reading. And it's been so sweet. I've had a lot of readers share snapshots of themselves reading by the beach or on a cliff or, you know, just beautiful, beautiful places in nature where they felt that they could go and take this moment. Kylie, mm-hmm. do you have anything to add to that? I wanted to add just a point too that we really try to share with our readers and our expanding audience around this, you know, the practice of working with print and something that has the potential to be, you know, I think often a product, there is a lot of waste that, you know, on the back end a business might have around it. And we really work with the practice of asking people to pre-order from us as a part of limiting the amount of waste on our end. So pre-orders are, I think, one of the most tangible ways that people that are supporters of our work can continue to support us because based off of the amount of pre-orders that we get, we'll gauge how much copies of a publication to actually print. And it's one of these things where people oftentimes, I think they're almost a little bit surprised when we'll put something out there and then they don't pre-order it and then it sells out really quickly and they're they're almost sometimes people can seem a little annoyed and we're actually just saying well we don't want any waste we order what we know is going to move and what is going to move quickly and if you want to continue to support us like put the orders in so that we can expand the publication reach so just to share on like a very physical way this is how we're also working with waste reduction I love that. And Loam, of course, operates in this media space, but in ways that are counter to the dominant field of media, as we touched on earlier. So can you speak to your mutual, unconventional understanding of and relationship to media that brought you together and how this has informed the ways that you want to build out this platform differently? Yeah, I... <laughs> so funny. I, w- I just came back from a walk with my family and I was looking for a shirt to wear and went into the back of my drawer and fished out this shirt that I had designed when I was a part of the Sustainus delegation that goes um, sends youth to the UN climate conferences every year. And our delegation in 2016, we wore these shirts that said climate justice storytellers. And for me, being a climate justice storyteller is so much about moving away from extractive storytelling. And that is definitely a core value that we work with at Loam. It's, you know, there's a lot of consent that we practice when putting pieces together with our contributors. We always make sure that one, our contributors, if they're writing about or speaking on a story that is on something else, that they're covering it, that the reader has a really clear contextualized understanding about who they are in relationship to the people that they're covering, and that there's a real embodied place that that the author or the contributor is speaking and writing from. And if it's a story that is touching on their own on their own life, we oftentimes ask our contributors to really, again, provide a deeper context into who this person is, um, why it is that they do the work they do, if it is that they're sharing about their own realm, their own um, spaces that they're inhabiting, as we want to be able to be connecting with our readers from a space that feels not just values aligned, but can leave an impact. We're looking for 
we say that we're like, we're not a normal style of journalism because journalism sometimes can feel cold and removed. And we're trying to create really heart-centered ways of connecting to people around large topics like the climate crisis or issues related to social justice or topics related to the ways that we choose to self-identify. So that's a little bit from my side. What do you think, Kate? Yeah, to add to that, I think it's important for us to share the stories from people who might not identify as writers, but who are incredible storytellers and do have beautiful and important stories to tell. And for us, the editorial process is really embodied and it's very thorough. You know, we do we do edit pieces, but for us, editing is is a true conversation and collaboration and we really value and enjoy working with writers for a long period of time to help create pieces that feel truly reflective of what they want to say and are accessible to readers. Accessibility is a big cornerstone of our work, in part because we both started out in youth spaces and we still want, you know, we're, we're cognizant of how the jargon there's certain terms that can feel isolating or alienating and that doesn't mean we shouldn't use those terms of course but only that we want to create context we want to provide points of entry that are accessible without without compromising compassionate critique or thoroughness or thoughtfulness so there really is a balance in the stories we tell and a desire for the personal we always almost anytime we receive a piece we're we always want to know more about the person. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's so inspiring and exciting to us is the people we get to work with. And I just often feel that at the end of each week, I feel so lucky because we get to work with such incredible people telling beautiful, personal, impactful stories that hold space for nuance and evoke just and liberatory futures and feel like a refreshing alternative to some of the stories that we see in the mainstream. Is this the last time that I will see your face? Is this the last time that I'll be with you in this place? And I don't Kailea, I want to go back to a point that you touched on earlier. You mentioned how conventional Western journalism can often feel cold and removed. And I kind of want to point out that that is almost what's celebrated as credible in Mm -hmm. the dominant media sphere. Like journalists are supposed to remove themselves and be as objective as they can be Mm -hmm. to purely tell the facts. And that's what is celebrated and really valued. But the parallel that I draw here is that in Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass, she talks about how Western science often leaves out the heart Mm -hmm. and how we relate to other beings and plants. So it also takes on a, a similar cold approach of objectivity 
that really leaves out a whole nother way of how we show up and understand the world. So I just wanted to raise this point that I really see a parallel there between Western science and indigenous knowledge. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, Western journalism, where objectivity and kind of removing the self and emotions is celebrated, whereas Mm -hmm. traditionally storytelling has always been about emotions and about the heart. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the things that we are noting, too, when we are wondering why is it that, you know, people continue to vote against their own best interests? I think that on the, you know, the left or the more progressive side, there's for decades, I think, been this idea that if you just give the facts and the information that people will really understand and hopefully be able to, you know, shift some of their perspectives. And that is just not actually how human beings work on a psychological level. People are steeped um, from their early years in deep narratives around identity and around ideas of what makes up success and what does not. And I think in order to actually start to have, again, like we are working in shifting, you know, narrative and culture coming from that perspective, we actually need to have embodied storytelling. And we we need to evoke emotion from both, I think, the person who's sharing and also the reader. I think otherwise there's a miss. And I, I do want to say, you know, again, like the parallel I'm thinking of is like Western medicine. Like there <laughs> so many parallels. I, yeah, like there it serves. There is a purpose for it. I'm not writing it off. And also there are other ways to approach working with the body, you know, in, in terms of understanding health. And and I think it's the same here. It's important that there's factual news sources, especially in a time of disinformation. And we also need, we need uh, storytelling to be connecting on a very human level. And as just like to end here, as someone who has been interviewed with the Western journalism, just to say that for me, it has never left me feeling good. It has always left me feeling used. And that is never a feeling that I want to pass along or the way that I want to work. So that has a lot to do with the (laughs) very big way that we are always practicing consent with our contributors and asking and double asking and triple asking, even if something is published to reshare it, because we always want to make sure that people feel valued, respected, and that we're taking their their humanness into, into consideration. So to really support this cultural narrative shift, your work centers on themes such as community, compassion, collaboration, and care, as you also speak to how the soft practices of care like gardening, herbalism, caretaking, cooking, and reading have incredible strength. And I'm fully with you on this, though it seems that our system tends to really undervalue all of these practices of building relationships, collaborating, and caregiving, things that may not contribute much directly to economic growthism, but that I think are so crucial and meaningful to nourishing our collective well-being. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on recognizing our need for these forms of service and activism, while at the same time knowing that our dominant culture and society minimizes their importance. Hmm. I think I will first say that I 
And I notice this in myself. I often create softness and strength as if they're opposites, but softness can be kind of strength. And I think our work is strong, mm. even if the contours of it are soft. So much of what we want to do is invite in new ways of being. We want to make space for multiplicity in our work, for different perspectives, for different relationships. And for us, so this and this again goes back to the idea of embodiment, you know, gardening, herbalism, care for community, relationship building are acts of embodiment. And they move theory into practice. They move theory into the work of, of interrelationship and interdependence. And that feels exceptionally valuable right now. And the reality is that it, it is hard to do this work sometimes because, as you were sharing earlier, it's not always seen as legitimate or valid. And there is still some part of me that's, that wants to be validated and seen as legitimate. I... I so often feel like this is seen as something that's cute or sweet and in particular because we do care about beauty and we do care about aesthetic and I think that's an important part of how we communicate our work and it's easy for that to be undervalued and it's easy for that to be labeled as superfluous or superficial or lifestyle-y but there's so much more depth to that and I think a lot of our work is you know, we have been in this for a long time and we continue to do it and we've watched the culture shift and we are part of that culture shift and our own our own work has shifted. You know, our minds have been changed or continually evolving. But we do come back home to, for both of us to the realm of the domestic is this incredibly fertile space for creation in our lives. We gain a lot of our power and our strength from those everyday practices of cooking and gardening and and yeah, I feel like I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but this is just something I I think so much about. So I, I feel like there's a lot to say. Hmm. I I'll add in just that Kate and I talk a lot about about the space that we share around our sensitivity. Both of us were really sensitive children and you know evolved into very sensitive adults and it actually when you asked this question Kamea it made me think of this post I had shared a few months ago where I had it said something like I'm really soft sensitive and vulnerable and these are some of my best attributes and I would also add in there that I'm I work and have a very strong sense of intuition and I do a lot of I put a lot of effort into cultivating that space growing up in the Hawaiian Islands I we worked a lot with this concept of speaking and listening from your na'au, which is this deep, you know, I I think like the the na'au like on the body is like this, like around your like kiko, like your belly button region or like below. It's this really deep area that you're continually tapping into and trying to operate and work from as far as moving and navigating through the world. And I I have done a lot also just to reclaim my sensitivity because it, as a child, I felt often, and I think Kate, this is a similar story for her too, just judged for how sensitive I was, not fully understood and kind of like teased. And I'm, I'm still teased because I'm, I, I am really sensitive. I, I don't like to see violence in terms of like movies, even though I work with 
really hard and heavy topics, I'm very careful about the way that I take in media because it sits in me and impacts me on a very, on a very like visceral level. So, you know, all to say that I, I want to live in a world where we value sensitivity. I think most of us are very sensitive beings and we've just had to put on a lot of armor in order to be, you know, in this world. But when I, you know, am tapping into that sensitive space, when I'm remembering that it's important for me to keep my heart open, even living in a time where there's a lot of hate that is going on, that's actually what moves me through the world is is letting my heart space be impacted by the generosity and the you know acts of kindness that exist around all of us you know every day in small ways and in big ways so all to say that i <laughs> i wish for us to be shifting more in that direction i don't you know it's like the question is like what what would the world be if more people were leading from a heart-centered space if more people let themselves feel and be soft even amidst a lot of hurt and wounding and trauma. And to add to that, because so much of what you shared, Kailia, really just resonated. That's one of the things I feel most grateful for about working with the team we work with and having the community we have is that I do feel like there's a way we are really seen and witnessed in our sensitivity. And when you were sharing that, it made me think of the wildfires this year both of us have experienced wildfires, but we've also watched as people we love have experienced wildfires from afar. And for me, having my friends go through horrific wildfire seasons in Australia and in California and where I live, I feel that. I feel for the animals. I feel for my friends. I feel for their children. And it's, you know, it felt like last year, this time last year when the bushfires were just raging, like I cried a lot and I live on the other side of the world, but I felt that so deeply and I felt shame around that sensitivity. Like, you know, I should somehow get a grip. What I don't know, you know, whatever, all these things you hear. And I felt so thankful that within the con- the container of the lone community, that was totally understood. Like, of course, this would be something you would grieve. Of course, this would be a reason to cry. Of course, this would be a natural extension of our humanity and of our empathy. And so all this to say, I do feel like that's something I feel really thankful for in the Loam community is that it's, it feels like a nourishing and supportive space to be a highly sensitive person. I think it's a, I think what it is, is that we're actually cultivating and living from a place and and creating from a place of truly fierce love for our earth and for our community and for our elders and our children. And, you know, I think of our work as strong, but I also think of our work as fierce. I, you know, like I wake up every single morning ready to go to work. You know, I'm like, I am here. I am alive. I am present with what I am witnessing going down on earth right now. And I am down for the fight. I <laughs> I took my vows in my early 20s and I said, this is it. I'm This is why I incarnated on earth. And I'm so grateful that I like got to understand this earlier in my life because it's my whole life is a dedication. And it's a fierce dedication to be here for the fight and to not back down and to draw those hard lines. So we're soft, we're intuitive, (laughs) and I also think of us as very fierce. (laughs) 
I love it. And yeah, I do agree. Sensitivity is often viewed as a weakness in our society. But can you imagine if everyone were, were a lot more sensitive to each of our own needs, you know, being able to listen deeply to all the signs coming from Earth and the needs and feelings of other people? So just imagine if we were collectively a lot less desensitized to mm. hate and violence and harm to the point where they've really become normalized in this current world that we're living in. And as we're coming to a close, I'd love for you to share any cost to action that you'd like to share with our listeners and of course, how they can best support your work. Hmm. I think calls to action right now are, if you're not already a part of some type of movement, people's movement space, I think this is the best time to get involved getting educated on really big topics, the opportunity to understand these issues on a systemic level has never been more accessible. It's never been easier. And I just have so much respect for on the ground organizers. I think the world of them, and that's my call to action. Like if you're not already in, in organizing, like please orient yourself in that direction. I promise you that you will find just some of the best people and some of the most, you know, I think joyous opportunities to work, um, which is really just much more, I think, around uh, coming together and not having to hold some of these large issues on it on your own shoulders. You want to know what love is. You want to feel it in your bones. You want to What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? Kailea, if you want to start. Mine is How We Show Up by Mia Birdsaw. My most favorite account on Instagram, which I did not know was a possibility until I found it, is it's called their, okay, Ebenum Brothers. It's E-B-I-N-U-M. It's two brothers that dance together. And I watched every single one of their videos and cried the whole time. (laughs) So that's where I go. (laughs) We'll definitely check that out. And finally, what makes you most hopeful for our world and planet at the moment? Okay, it's a combination. It's AOC and the rest of the squad plus (laughs) children. (laughs) It's our community and everything they do and share with us is so beautiful and inspiring. Well, Green Dreamer, to learn more, you can head to, again, it's loamlove.com for more from Kate and Kailea. Kailea is also working on her own project and her website is earthisohana.com. Do you want to quickly touch on what, because I know you you just launched your new website, right? Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I just launched it as of this morning. And yeah, I have a, I run a very small um, 
consultancy facilitation and writing space. Uh, it's a very small little business I have on my own and I'm for hire as far as an independent contractor in that way. So keep me in mind. It's been a huge honor to have both of you, Kailea and Kate. Thank you so much for joining us today. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? Get into a practice with your dreams and and follow and listen and pay attention. I think there's a lot of projects Kate and I have birthed together that have come from our dream space. Yeah. Yeah. I think find your collaborators because I feel like I, we, it feels like this is a way finding the people that you love and want to collaborate with is a way to realize those dreams. And I feel like we get to be in some really special dream space in love. <laughs> And that's because of the nature of our collaboration. Green Dreamer, we've come full circle here. We are now gearing up to begin working on our next season of the show as this current one will wrap up with episode 300, which is a huge milestone for us. And we're so proud and grateful to have you along on this ride. That said, we really need to meet our next Patreon goal to be able to continue the show. So if you can afford to spare some change starting at just $2, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash greendreamer or make a one-time contribution at greendreamer.com slash PayPal. Remaining mostly supported by listeners directly, like you, is how we're able to cover such a wide range of topics and never feel the need to self-censor when we talk about corporate powers because we're not interested in working with or building relationships with corporations. We're interested in actually critiquing them and being able to be as unfiltered, unapologetic, and truthful as we can be in service of providing diverse perspectives for you. So I really do want to thank all of our past and current supporters for making our show up till now possible. And again, if you'd like to join in and if you can, you can support us at patreon.com slash green dreamer. If you're struggling financially, though, I know it's a difficult time for so many people. Please do not worry at all. Please take care of yourself and your loved ones first. And you can also support us by sharing the episodes that you're listening to with your friends and leaving us a five-star review in the podcast app. Anyhow, today's intermission song featured was Over by Luna Beck. Our audio producer is Scott Donnell. Our production intern is Spencer Carter. And I'm your host, Kamea Shane. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you in the next episode.